Welcome to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. The show that gives you inside access to how retail real estate's most successful leaders went from being an average Joe Schmo to the CEO. I'm your host, Aaron Zucker. Hey everyone, before we get started, I wanted to take a quick second to thank the guys at CASCM for making this podcast happen. They've brought Limitless from an idea to making it a reality, and I can't thank them enough for support along the way. If you're looking to get going on your own content creation journey or need help with your marketing, I'd strongly encourage you to reach out to them at kazcm.com. You know, when you first meet someone who is super impressive and you say to yourself, man, that person has what it takes to be successful. The person who carries themselves with the perfect combination of a vibrant personality that people naturally gravitate toward. Yet they are extremely persistent in obtaining what they want and also possess high levels of intelligence and skills it takes to actually execute on what they're trying to do. I describe people like that in our business as dynamic. And today's guest, Stacey Mooney, is absolutely dynamic. Her story is nothing short of incredible. She's been through major curveballs, made the most out of what the lion's share of the population would describe as, quote, tough situations, and thrived during those challenging times. My conversation with her was a perfect way to end season two, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Could not be any more excited to have the one and only Stacey Mooney, the founder of both Retail Live and the Retail Edge, a commercial real estate brokerage, and Retail Live, which is a cutting edge events company that I know a lot of us are familiar with, but we'll certainly get to know more throughout the show. Stacey, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. It's a good way to start off the week. Yeah, start off the week. And we're going to start off with your life at the beginning of the week. Oh, so, oh yeah, gosh. We dig deep here at Limitless. <laughs> or so, dive in deep here. Okay. <laughs> here we go. We're going all the way back to your childhood. Where did you grow up? How did you grow up? What was the family life like? We always circle back to this at the end, but I think people are really interested in what's going on. So I grew up in Lewiston, Idaho, a very small town in the panhandle of Idaho that's along the Snake River, sister city to Clarkston, Washington. It was... Uh, an awesome place to grow up. I lived with my mom and my dad and my older sister, Kelly. And it was about 35,000 people lived in Lewiston. And yeah, it was an awesome place to grow up. I often long for that environment, honestly, now. Wish my kids grew up in a smaller town like that. Florida is a little different than Idaho, I'd say. <laughs> I've not spent, just so we're clear, I've not spent one second of my life in Idaho. You're the only person I've ever met from Idaho. I know I've told you that before, but uh, now you can... The whole world's been in it. I hear that frequently. <laughs> sure. Is that why you have zero accent? Like nobody can guess where you're from? You know, it's so weird. Just like, I think it was, yeah, it was last week I was speaking to some folks and one of the gals asked me if I was from Pennsylvania, that I have an accent of Pennsylvania. I, I, <laughs> she's from Pennsylvania and she said that some of the things that I say sound like her people. But yes, otherwise I would say yes, that's why I have absolutely no accent. There you go. Well, given your personality and how neutral your accent is, you can take my job. So I don't know why I'm interviewing you. I'm potentially firing myself here. <laughs> what are you talking about? If you ever need to stand in, let me know. Uh, there you go. Actually, you would do great. So, so interesting, anecdotally, my father was a DJ. So maybe that's where I get it from. There you go. Yeah. That's a good fun fact. Yeah. So how much older is Kelly than you? She is almost exactly three years older than me. Interesting. Okay. And how are you as a kid student in school, like, were you rambunctious as crazy or were you as perfect <laughs> as any parent could possibly want? The joke in our house, much to my sister's dismay, is that I was the good one and she was the nightmare. So she loves to try to come up with stories to support her argument. And there's like maybe two stories of me doing anything that was not in line with what my parents wanted us to be doing. So I would say I was a pretty easy kid. But as they say, sometimes that's by comparison. <laughs> so maybe it's all relative, you know? But as a student, I was A's and B's. I certainly wasn't, you know, valedictorian, but I had good grades and enjoyed school and studied and it came easy to me. So yeah, I was a good student, I think. I was a good kid growing up. I mostly followed the rules. I think I went outside the lines a couple times to test boundaries like kids do. But, but for the most part, I was very concerned with making sure that I made my parents proud. Good. Yeah. Any extracurricular activities that took up a lot of your time that you're serious about? I don't know why I'm like... Because <laughs> I know you're going to give me a hard time for this. Because I think you already have. I was in cheerleading. Shocking, I know. And then I think like around my sophomore or junior year, I started really getting into... I'd go to the gym every day after school. That kind of became my thing. So I was pretty into that back when... I don't know. I would say I didn't go with any of my girlfriends or anything. I would literally go by myself 
was a big fan of step aerobics, which was huge. I'm very much dating myself. And so I would do that and I ran a lot. Those were kind of my, my things. And of course, socializing with everybody. I'm going to indirectly give you a hard time because a lot of our listeners will not know what step aerobics is. So I need your description <laughs> of what step aerobics is. Oh God. It's too bad this is a podcast because otherwise we would, I mean, we are recording Zoom because we could have you sample it for us, but. Well, you know, they're still out there. It's funny because I was doing a workout program and I needed, ironically, I was like, oh, you know, that step bench would be perfect. And they still sell them on Amazon. So if you're curious, you can look it up. But it's basically a plastic bench that sits on the floor. It can raise from, I don't know, eight inches off the floor to maybe two feet off the floor. And you basically, (laughs) I'm picturing this now. So I'm laughing, you know, you're jumping back and forth across the box. And it's kind of like, a little bit of hit training, I guess I would say, in today's terminology. What music were you listening to while you did it? Well, now I didn't pick the music, right? Because there was an instructor up there. Sure. So I can't really remember. I'm sure it was whatever was very upbeat. And I'm envisioning Billy Banks. Oh, yeah, I definitely... I did Billy Blanks. I had a lot, all the Tybo tapes. Yeah, gotcha. I had all those. <laughs> all right, I love it. Those were great in college when I was broke, you know, and I didn't want to pay for a gym. So I was just like basically wear those VHS tapes out. So basically fitness, cheerleading, like that was your jam. When you weren't in school, yeah. that's what you spent a lot of your time doing, which yeah. required discipline. And obviously that transferred later in your career, but and we'll certainly get to that. You mentioned college. Where did you go? Yep. How did you arrive to that decision? I went to Washington State University, the Cougars, which of course, somebody's going to make a joke of that now, I'm sure. But you know, it was in Pullman, Washington, which was of course out of state. But I... I chose WSU because again, I am a big time like family person. I was never one to want to go like get away from my parents. I wanted to be as close to them as possible, probably much to their chagrin. So in terms of colleges and where some of my friends were going, but yet was close to my family, WSU was perfect. It was only about a 35 minute drive from where I grew up, even though it was out of state technically, which in hindsight was ridiculous because I paid something like I don't know, 10,000 more per year to go out of state when I could have gone to the University of Idaho, which was literally probably 10 minutes away from WSU. But I, <laughs> I decided I wanted to go to a, you know, a college not within my state for some reason I can't explain even today. Although they had a large communications program and I went through a kind of period of thinking that I wanted to do something in, which is ridiculous, like advertising media. And so that was kind of partly also why I picked that. So you were about to say something that's interesting. You were about to say, which was ridiculous. I could feel it. Yeah. I was you know, watching you on this as we record this. I don't understand why that's ridiculous because as I look at what you're up to now and your social media presence and how you've marketed, certainly the retail live business, it's more than applicable. So I don't know why you know that was an interesting comment because I think if anybody who knows you and a lot of people do because of your online presence would be overwhelmingly commending of your efforts on there. So uh-huh. the education in a weird way obviously has paid off for you. Yeah. I can't remember a single lecture <laughs> from that period in my life, but I guess it's all maybe in there on a on a subconscious level somewhere. Yeah, we should Yeah. My parents divorced when I was in college when I was a freshman. And so I went from thinking that my college, frankly, career was paid for, to be totally honest with you, to basically kind of being told like you either figure it out or you're on your own. And so to be honest with you, I was working multiple jobs and I picked a path that was the path of least resistance. I wanted to graduate and get on with my life and start making money because now I was paying the tab for everything and it was a much different experience than I thought it was going to be. So you go to school, that's a major curveball. Yeah. Definitely one of life's adversarial things that you don't expect and you just react accordingly. Yep. And you're studying communications. Help, help me get to where we are now. So what happens? How did you get exposed to commercial real estate? Did you get into it right after school or? So my entire family is in real estate. They're on the residential side. I, again, growing up in a small town. So my grandfather started a real estate company probably 80 years ago now that my my mother and my father worked in. My uncle still owns and operates today. My sister is in residential. Like my entire family was in real estate. And then when I moved to, I graduated. I'm um, actually graduated earlier. Well, not early. I graduated on time as I 
should have, but I decided to do some classes remotely because again, I was in a big hurry to get out of there. And I ended up moving to Florida because that's where my grandparents were, like everyone's grandparents. And that's where my mom actually ended up coming when she and my father separated. So I moved to Florida and Florida is not the best place, or at least I'm in Sarasota, Florida. It's not the best place for young want-to-be professionals to find a job. It's very much, if you're a service worker, it's that industry. There's a lot of money here, but there's not kind of that in-between. There's not a lot of opportunities in that. And so when I got here, I had bartended all through college. That was one of many jobs that I had. And so when I got here, I just started bartending because it was easy money and didn't know where I was going to work. And I graduated with a degree in marketing with an emphasis on advertising. And so I was looking for something in that role And so I started bartending at a place called The Colony, which was a famous resort out on Longboat Key, which unfortunately no longer exists today. But I was bartending there while trying to get a job in their marketing department, which I ultimately did get. Wait a second. You can't overstep that for a second because that's a cool lesson, right? So you really wanted to work at an organization within the marketing department. And I hate Mm -hmm. to use cliche terms, especially one would get your foot in the door, but it's hard to describe it in any other way. Yeah. So I'm bartending. I mean, this place was a disaster. It was on its way down why I wanted to work in the marketing department. I guess maybe naively, I thought I could you know, put, play some role in saving it or something. I don't know. It was a really small... I bet there was... Without the like wait staff, I don't think... you know, like In terms of the executive staff and like the business side of it, I don't think there was more than maybe... She's probably 20 people or 30 people at most. They had like their sales because they did a lot of events there. And they had marketing. And so anyway, so I mean, you know, I came to know all those people. And just I think a lot of people that know me, both from my past being younger and even now, would tell you that I'm really good at harassing people when I want something. And so I just kind of started that's what I was doing. I was harassing the head of marketing to give me a job. And eventually she did. I wasn't making, I mean, I don't even know how I survived, honestly. I think I was making like twenty-one thousand dollars a year in Sarasota, which does not go far, doesn't go far many places. And so, you know, I was doing that while also bartending. And I did that for maybe a year and a half. All the while, my family's, of course, still in real estate. And I was kind of, in, you know, like that postgraduate, like I was refusing to get into real estate. I don't know why. I was just like, I'm never doing that. I just decided that I wasn't going to be like everyone else, I guess. But the joke's on me because it wasn't long after working at the colony that I decided that I, you know, well, maybe I'll go get my real estate license. Maybe I'll do that just to have it. And so I did that and I ended up going to work for a team. It was residential on Longboat Key, which was just down the way from where I was working at the colony. And I worked for an agent who extremely successful. I mean, makes some of honestly our commercial commission checks look like peanuts. I mean, just this woman was a force. And I saw what her life looked like as a residential agent. And I said, you know what? I was right. I don't want to do that (laughs) because it is nights and weekends and no loyalty. And I was just like, wow, this is not what I want. I'm getting to the commercial real estate part now. My uncle, as I mentioned, he's in residential. He lives partly in Washington state and partly in Phoenix, Arizona. And he had called me. I'm pretty close with him. And he had called me one day and I don't even remember really how we arrived on this, but he just said to me, go find me a business that I can use as a tax write-off so that I can come back and forth to Florida. I'll let you run it. Now I'm like 22, I think, 22, 23, maybe. I'm like, okay. Well, every morning when I would come into work to work for that real estate team that I mentioned, part of what I would do is I would stop off at this place called Monty's Bagels, which was on St. Armand Circle. And I would get bagels and coffee for everybody. And I became friendly with the owner just because I was in there every day. He and his wife ran it. And I do not know what in the world possessed me, but I just said, Hey, Monty, like you're like, you could do a lot bigger than you're doing. Now for context, like rent on St. Armand Circle is like 70 bucks a foot base rent. This is like, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. So I start talking to him and I'm like, why aren't you like, you should be like wholesaling to all these resorts and hotels out on Longboat Key. And I don't even know where the heck it came from, honestly. I have no idea where. So he's kind of looking at me like, I think he was like, holy crap, this young kid is like telling me how to run my business, but he was intrigued. 
And I had been telling him this prior to my uncle making that comment to me. So I end up saying to him, Hey, you know, would you ever sell or do you want a partner? And I'm like, I want to partner with you. And he's like, okay. So I remember we go, we have a meeting. He and his wife come. I don't remember where I remember it was at like a picnic bench somewhere outside some restaurant. And so I'm talking to him about why are you on St. Armand's? You don't need to be on St. Armand's. He was like, kind of, again, you don't know it, but think of like a hub and spoke. He was off on a spoke somewhere, not high visibility, but paying crazy rent. And, you know, he didn't really need to be there. I mean, if you think about morning bagels and stuff, it's not really so much tourists. He was missing out on all the daily, daily folks, workers that are around on Longboat Key and stuff. And the hotels, in my opinion, that he could be bringing a box of bagels to every morning and selling. So that led me to call... I'm going to throw out some names here in case they're ever listening. A guy named Charlie Finazzo, who worked for Benderson Development, because there was a Winn-Dixie shopping center that happened to be right by where I live. And I thought, that's where he should be. He needs to be like in a grocery store. And then he could still wholesale from everywhere and he's not paying this crazy rent. Again, I have no idea how I even knew to think like this. I don't know. I didn't know anybody in <laughs> in the business. I just thought that, that he was missing the votes about. The long story short, I called Charlie. We start working in LOI to move Monty's into this shopping center. At the same time, I'm calling my uncle and I'm like, Uncle Bob, I've got the business for you. This is what we're going to do. We've got an LOI. We like freeze-dried bagels and cream cheese and like overnighted them out to my uncle so he could taste them and the, the whole thing. Well, I don't really remember how it fell apart. I think it was probably that my uncle decided that he didn't want to own a bagel business is my guess. (laughs) But what did happen was about probably a couple weeks after I had let the guy, Charlie, know at Benderson that we weren't moving forward. And by the way, I had harassed the crap out of him on this LOI. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I remember meeting him at like a pizza place and like sitting down to quote unquote negotiate the LOI. You know I mean? I wish I had those LOIs, you know, because I mean, it was like, what? You're going to charge me? You're going to increase the rent every year? This is baloney. Like, I just thought this thing was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen, you know? I mean, I'm picturing like the apartment rental agreement that I had just had. It's five years. You want us to sign for five years? We'll do a one-year deal, you know? I mean, just utterly clueless. And the guy, he was so patient with me. And so anyway, I ended up telling him like, hey, it's not going to work out. And about three weeks later, I'm sitting at the desk of the residential team that I'm working for. And I get a call from him and he says, Hey, Stacy, give me a call. And I call him and I'm like, I'm getting ready to do the trolley. You know, we're not interested. We're not going to do it. I'm thinking he's calling to like follow up on the space. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not calling you for that. I'm calling because I think you should come work for Benderson. My boss wants to meet you. And I'm like, What? <laughs> like I knew nothing about commercial real estate. I remember I called my dad and I'm like, dad, you know, these people, they want me to go work for commercial real estate. And now my family was in residential. However, because as I mentioned, I lived in a very small town. And as a lot of residential agents in smaller markets are apt to do, they dabble in kind of everything. My dad and my grandfather had developed an Albertson shopping center and they had developed a Costco and a couple hotels. And so my dad knew about commercial. And so when I call him, he's like, Oh, I don't know about that. That's really a male dominated industry, kiddo. And, you know, I don't know if you're going to like it in there. And it's really tough. I got all the warning. I mean, he was supportive of it, but he wanted, you know, as a father, he was nervous about me going that way. So I ended up agreeing to meet with Charlie's boss, a guy named Chuck Taylor. And I remember we met at a restaurant downtown Sarasota. He was an hour late. And I was still there when he came. And you know, it was probably a test or something. I don't know. I never asked. Actually, there's no way it was a test. The guy was notoriously... He was late for everything. So does that sound familiar, Aaron? <laughs> Come on. No time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he interviewed me. He told me what the job was about. And I just remember leaving that interview feeling like I was like vibrating in place. I was like... All of a sudden, I felt... Like it was your calling. This is my calling. This is freaking awesome. I mean, I'm going to know about retailers and businesses that come in before everyone else. I get to negotiate this stuff. This is like, sign me up. And so I think like within you know two weeks, I ended up quitting that team and, and went and started working for Benderson. I was with them for 
four years. It was an interesting time for sure. Am I supposed to ask you why it was interesting or no? Well, no, I mean, I mean, you're not supposed to ask me anything. I didn't want to keep rambling on. This is supposed to be like a two-way thing and I'm just over here going off on a tangent. <laughs> I'm very easy to find out about. People are listening to this show because they want to hear about, about you, Stacey. So oh, what made your time interesting at Benderson? Well, I mean, Benderson is just, listen, it was the absolute best education I have had and I owe everything in my career to that opportunity. And, and it's so crazy to me because I didn't even recognize what it was at the time. When I got at the time, I mean, many people on here will probably be familiar with Benderson. It's a privately held family owned development company that started in Buffalo, New York by a guy named Nate Benderson. And at the time that I worked for Benderson or when I started for Benderson, they were still based in Buffalo. They're actually based in Sarasota now. But when I worked with them, they had, they had converted a retail space at a pretty defunct outlet mall that is today on University and 75 and a big deal known as University Town Center and, and kind of the other shopping centers around it. Anybody in the industry who's familiar with Florida should know it. But I worked out of an office in that shopping center at a time when there was no retail. It was ghost town, cow pastures everywhere. And it was like myself and maybe, I don't know, 15 other people, including administrative staff. And so it was literally just, here you go. Here's your 13 shopping centers. Start taking calls. I mean, there was like no training. I remember sitting at my desk and I thought I could even just talk about, I could feel my heart racing. Like I remember the phone ringing and like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I remember I had my triple nets of all my shopping centers printed out and taped on my desk. And I just started taking calls and I would meet with people at the spaces and I would just completely wing it. And that was it. It was like sink or swim. I mean, I will say that my boss was very available and helpful and extremely patient <laughs> because I didn't have a clue and I was in there. I just remember it was like, I'd have my file folders back then when we had to get a deal approved. It was just the quote unquote deal sheet, which consisted of you know a summary of all the deal terms stapled to the front of a legal manila folder and all your information that you had on them in that folder. And Chuck would pull up and I would get there early. I mean, I'd be there at like 6.30 in the morning before he would get there. And I would be like a dog at the door waiting for its parents to come home. I mean, I'd be standing there at the door with my manila folder waiting for him to pull into the parking lot and like basically attacking him as soon as he came in because I had so many questions and wanted to advance deals. And so he was very patient and helpful. But there was no formal training, I'll tell you that. Wow. <laughs> my very first... This is interesting though. I remember it was my very first day there. And my very first meeting was with Charlie Boscarino of Bells. Chuck and I went to meet Charlie at the Bells headquarters. And we sat there and in his office and I just listened. And, and to this day, I, every time I see Charlie, I think, wow, you know, I've known you since the first day in the business. It's kind of cool how these relationships come full circle. Wow. An amazing sequence of events, really. And how you go from moving to Florida on a whim and bartending to going into marketing, to going into residential real estate, to getting into our business of which, listen, I'm not an advocate of not training. In fact, I'm a big believer in hiring people that are untrained and training them to a way that you'd want them to blossom, if you will, and sort of be able to relay the secret sauce of whatever that is for your organization. However, if I could pick someone that would go into it and just figure it out and be untrained, it would definitely be you because <laughs> I would have said that prior to this interview, but the bagel story, I mean, it's just, it's all awesome. I love that. That said, mm -hmm. tell me an embarrassing story at your first role at Benderson, because I'm sure there was a few of them given that you started to drive 60 with no brakes. I mean, the obvious one, that, like, I mean, it's not like a specific one, but I know it's happened. And I remember I came and I was a guest with you and Beth for your... Oh, freshman forum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Freshman forum. That's right. I think I may have mentioned this, but I was the idiot who would call GNC and be like, hey, I've got a really great space. And they're like across the street. Oh, yeah, that's a bad one. Yeah, so... I remember, you know, somebody who was always, I just feel like, you know, now that I'm old, <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. That's ridiculous. Yes, I am. You know, there's a couple of people who were so compassionate. Like I remember Keith Chance, who of course now is with TJ Maxx, who at the time was with Starbucks. 
And I was like, you know, I was dying. I had to get me a Starbucks deal, which I did get. It was one of my pretty early in my career, which I did with Keith, of course. And I remember calling and probably bothering him with all kinds of sites that now in hindsight, I laugh. I go, oh my God, he would have never... I mean, he was always so gracious. But you know, one of the times like presenting him a site and him being like, yeah, I'm, you know, whatever, 0.5 miles away in a submarket that wasn't crazy dense would not have justified the Starbucks going, although they do that obviously in some markets. Those were the embarrassing things. I have a funny story. I don't know if it's so much embarrassing. We're down with humor. That'll work. Humor always works. <laughs> now I don't really see it as embarrassing. So I was, again, very just bullish. My naivete like benefited me because I didn't know how ridiculous I looked. I didn't know how brazen I was then. So there was... And again, this is another one of those come full circles. Many people have heard this story. But I think I had like at the time... 18 shopping centers that I was leasing. This was probably maybe a year into my career. And I was leasing, again, a defunct outlet center. And I had a, several box spaces in my portfolio. These shopping centers are not what they are today. They were like, I would say, C minuses. They had like no anchors. You know, they had your standard nail salon and maybe a Chinese restaurant. You know, there was nothing special about them yet. And so I had several box spaces that I was trying to backfill. And I walked into a woman's only fitness facility that was about three miles down the road from one of these shopping centers. And I was, you know, canvassing as our friend Beth Azor would love this story. I was canvassing and I told the people that I wanted them to come and, you know, move down the street and come into the shopping center. And I did this a couple of times. And I mean, you know, it was just workers. There was no manager there at the time. Certainly the owner wasn't there, but I'd leave stuff and follow up. Well, I get a call from a guy named Vince Julian, who is the owner of these. There was at the time, I think they had something like 12 to 14 of these in the Tampa Bay market. And he also owned, I don't know, maybe three to five co-ed gyms. And so he calls me. And he's curious about these spaces. And to cut to the chase, I ended up pitching three spaces to this guy for his co-ed facilities. And I was, again, a year, maybe a year and a half into the business. And I was bringing three anchor deals to basically what they would deem as committee, although it wasn't like a formal committee. But Benderson used to do these kind of quarterly meetings where it was all hands on deck and we would go through the rent roll and we would go through all the vacancies and, you know, obviously upcoming rolling tenants and stuff. They were all there. But when I say they, it was Nate Benderson, who at the time was probably 83, who I was really fond of. And he, he was a curmudgeon, but he was I have a soft spot for himself to this day. And he just had a tendency to just, there's no BS with him. And so they were all Randy Benderson, who is his son, who now, of course, runs Benderson and did then had kind of, you know, taken over for his father and a guy named Wayne Rubin, who ran the Florida division and my boss, Chuck. Anyway, every, you know, executive C-level people, they're all in this conference room. And I'm standing outside of the room waiting to present these three deals. And I am scared shitless, right? I'm just like, oh my God, they're going to chew me up and spit me out. And... I'm standing there with my manila folders, all three of them. And Nate comes, Nate Benderson comes blasting out of the conference room. And I'm standing there. I'm like working up the courage, you know, to go in there, right? And he comes and he goes, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I have to present these deals. And I think I had mentioned them, like he was aware of them. And he says, he looked at me, he goes, since when don't you have any balls? Get in there. And I was just like, this 80-year-old man is like yelling, you know, and he shoved me into that conference room to present those deals. And we ended up doing all three of them. And the best part of that story, of course, which you may know, is that Vince Julian is today the principal for a company called CR Fitness, which owns over 40 Crunch Fitness gyms, which I have um, had the pleasure of working with uh, for 20 years now as their tenant rep broker. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. So, yeah. wow. So putting this into perspective for a second, mm -hmm. you canvassed a gym operator. Yeah. As a result, you ended up leasing them three boxes and then picking mm -hmm. them up as a tenant rep account, which I'm going to say probably was a big part of like making your career. That's a fair assumption, right? Yeah. 
So I was, of course, not doing tenant rep and Benderson does not have a tenant rep division. So while I was at Benderson, you know, I worked these deals. And then, you know, I was in the middle of working one when I decided to, I ended up leaving and going to the shopping center group in Tampa. And I was still, you know, communicating with Vince. And he asked me to meet him for lunch or coffee or something. And he just said, Hey, I don't ever want to be on the other side of the table as you again. I want you to come represent me. And I was like, okay. And so that's what I did. And I think we did, geez, uh, we probably did 10 to 15 deals via his women's only concept and his co-ed facility. And then of course, he ended up selling those to Lifestyle Family Fitness. And then he decided to start Crunch Fitness. And then he of course asked me to you know help him with that. And we've done Club 41 is getting ready to open here. Wow. So it's been a ride. I did not know that story. That is yeah. insane. Wow, wow, wow. So did, did the jump to the shopping center group, did that opportunity have anything to do with it? Because obviously in brokerage, you were more free to do what you saw fit. Yeah, I think it was like I called him and I was just like, I think it was one of those things like I was calling him to say, hey, I'm not going to be at Benders anymore because of course through... Yeah, you did three deals. Yeah, and it was a long process, right? And I think the third one was still going on. And so... You know, I'd call to say, "Hey, I, like I'm, I'm moving on," and he was like, "Huh?" And you know, at the time, he's doing like maybe one, two deals a year. It wasn't like he's doing what he's doing now. So yeah, I mean, I think kind of the light bulb went off in his head, like, "Wow, maybe she could help me with my stuff," because he had never had representation. And so that's yeah, that was kind of I guess the way it started. Yeah, gave him the idea, and and I was able to do it. Okay, and so you go to the shopping center group. What year is this roughly? Mm, I think it's probably 2004 or five. Okay. Almost 20 years ago. Wow. I told you I was old. <laughs> so tell, keep going with your story. We'd love to hear. So I go to the shopping center group. It is very small. It's got two guys, a guy named Jared DePel and a guy named Jeff Townsend. Man, as I am telling you this stuff, I'm like, wow, it really is all woven together. It's crazy going through it. So uh, once again, like literally trial by fire. These guys, Jeff and JR, I will tell you to this day, for anyone who's listening, boy, is this a plug and he's not paying me. Anybody that's listening who needs a broker in the Austin, Texas market, boy, Jeff Townsend is your guy. That guy is one of the best, if not the best tenant rep broker that I have ever had the privilege to work with and know. He is a man full of integrity and I just cannot say enough good things about him. But he was the younger of the two. Uh, JR... You know, JR is like representing big guys like LA Fitness and Bed Bath and Beyond, and he didn't have time for me. <laughs> so every time I had a question, because again, I had never done tenant rent, I moved to Tampa. Tampa is, a, for those that don't know, is an hour north of the market where I lived, and so leasing, you got to know your shopping center and your bubble around it, right? I didn't really need to know Tampa. I had no reason to know Tampa other than occasionally when I would go up to Tampa for some reason, a concert or something, you know. But I did not no Tampa. And so now I'm working in Tampa. And three days after I start, Jeff is going out of town. He says, Oh, by the way, you're taking the Liz Claiborne account, 8,000 square foot tenant. And they're going to be here on Friday and you're touring the market with them by yourself. There was like five of these people coming to town. I am like dying. Okay. I mean, this is like the story of my life is like trial by fire, just like do it. When in doubt, if you're around Stacey Moody and you need someone to go into the fire, just throw Stacey in. No problem. <laughs> right. Like, I've got fifth degree burns all over my body. But so, anyways, we tour. We had a great tour. We ended up doing several deals. And I was with them. I um, mean, you know, I represented Coldstone Creamery and had a stint with Golfsmith. But if you remember those guys and Liz Claiborne, and that was where I first started doing some tenant rep stuff. And I liked it. But again, zero training. Jeff and JR were very busy with their own accounts and I had like no resources, no training. And so for that reason, I really wasn't crazy. It didn't feel good to me. I'm like a social person. I'm a team person. I like to bounce ideas off people. And there just was, it was a very quiet office. It wasn't a fit for me. And Casto Lifestyle Properties, which is a big lifestyle developer here in... Well, they're based out of Ohio, but they had offices in Florida. And they were based in Sarasota, had contacted me and said, Hey... Why don't you come back? We need help with our leasing department. And leasing is really where 
I would say my kind of passion is the merchandising aspect of it and, you know, kind of taking a crappy shopping center and making it amazing and bringing in, you know, powerful tenants that help the other tenants and all. That's really what I love. And then getting to work on, you know, Whole Foods anchored shopping centers and movie theater shopping centers at the time was really sounded exciting to me. It was different than what I did for Benderson, which was primarily grocery anchored shopping centers. And so I ended up going and working for Casto probably about two years after being, I'd say, with the shopping center group, all the while still running with Vince Julian of Crunch. There you go. Kind of on the side. Yeah. And I worked for them, for Casto, for like three years. It's a fantastic company. A guy named Brett Hutchins runs the Florida division. And again, another really just upstanding, great guy. But I quite literally leased myself out of a job. I leased every single space that I had They really weren't in acquisition mode. I remember I would go to my boss and be like, I feel guilty. I'm like shopping for furniture. Give me something to do. Like I was going crazy and they weren't buying stuff. And so I ended up ironically getting kind of recruited to go back to Shopping Center Group. When I was there the first time, they did not have a leasing division. They really weren't looking at third-party leasing. They weren't doing that. But around this time, they were looking at developing that platform And so I was recruited to go be a part of that and work on developing that part of the business for them. So I did that for a couple of years. I ended up getting married and having a baby. And I'm going to make these parts short (laughs) because I ended up leaving Florida for a while. Ironically, my uncle did not want to buy the bagel store, but he did want me to come move up to Washington State and and help him with some of his businesses. And I had a newborn and I was kind of like, going through that. Do I want to be at home with him? And do I need more flexibility? And do I need to be around family? My mom had moved also back to Washington to help run the family business. So like I had family there. And Aaron, you and I have talked about the importance of having family when you've got young kids. And so I kind of made that decision to go up there and do that and got up there and realized, holy crap, we are not happy here. (laughs) It was not very long. We were like, okay, it's freezing here. There's no there here. (laughs) There's nothing going on. As someone who has lived in Florida and then left, your blood will thin. I don't care if you're from Idaho or Canada or however far north. And I'm only from Charlotte, but I'm telling you, I lived in South Florida for three years and I came back and as soon as it got below 70 degrees, it's, wow, it's a little chilly. I mean, it's a real thing. Yeah, it was hard. I also, I thought I had this idea that, um, I think a lot of like new moms probably experienced this. Like I had this idea that like I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and you know obviously no shame for those women that choose to do that but I was going crazy. Yeah, I'm a deal maker. I was a deal junkie. I missed the high of putting people together. I was just like I got to do something. And where we live, we live in a place called the Tri-Cities in a town called Richland, Washington and there just wasn't I even looked at I looked at going and joining a brokerage firm there and maybe starting to go off on my own and do like third-party representation and stuff but the market just wasn't big enough to work there. You'd really have to like cover a lot of territory to frankly have enough business to have it make sense. Which would have defeated the whole purpose of moving there in the first place. Right. Right. If you're going to do that and you're going to put yourself through that, you might as well live where you want to live. Right. So I'm realizing I'm like very much a nomad as I'm about to tell you the next two steps. (laughs) So I ended up coming back to Florida because I got recruited by a company. Well, keep in mind, this is in 2007, 2008. The bottom of the world is dropping out. And I am like, I want to go back. I want to get back in the business. The guy that had hired me for Benderson is now working for a company called Madison Marquette. And he's like, man, I would love to hire you, but we don't have any business. We have no shopping centers. So I said, what if I bring the shopping centers to you? He's like, what do you mean? I said, what if I go out and get shopping centers to lease and bring it into the portfolio? So that's what I did. I called up people that that I knew and brought in like the Ramco Gershenson portfolio, which I think was like seven or eight shoppings. Did that while I was still in Washington to kind of get that agreement in place and then brought it to them. And so then they hired me and I ended up leasing those and some other shopping centers. And I was the, to my horn, number one producer for Madison Marquette nationally and did just a sled ton of deals at a time when the market was crappy. Lease some pretty cool lifestyle projects. Um, one of the bell tower shops in Fort Myers, which is kind of one of their to Hyde Park village in Tampa, just had some really cool projects. And of course the world started to come back and did that for 
three or four years until, as I said, all relationships come full circle. Jeff Townsend, who had recruited me to go to the shopping center group the first time, he had since moved on and started a brokerage company in Austin, Texas called Edge Realty Partners. They started in Dallas and Jeff and a guy named Darren Nix opened up an office in Austin and Jeff started harassing me to come out there and work with him. Come out here. We want to start a leasing division. Come out here and run it for us. And I told him no, I don't know, four or five times before. I said, okay, maybe we'll maybe I'll come out there and just check it out. So I flew out to Austin and I fell in love with Austin. And I was like, okay, I could live here. And so I ended up taking the job. When was this? What year? This was 2011, I think, 2011 or so. So my job as the host of this podcast is to straddle the line of letting the guests talk and relay their story, but also like pointing out when they do something incredible. And like my head is completely spinning because I've heard so many little nuances throughout this interview that are making me like want to like jump up and do a cartwheel and tell the entire world like, what a badass move, what a power move this was. Like I'm thinking about all this happening. You moved twice during the, the greatest economic recession in the history of this country, produced in two different markets. And oh, by the way, you were building a family at home. It's beyond comprehension for what you're pulling off. And you talk about it like, oh yeah, I got up this morning, I brushed my teeth and ate breakfast. Like <laughs> it needs to be celebrated. It needs to be pointed out. And it needs to be recognized that for people who are contemplating career moves right now or whether or not they can do it or whether or not they have the capacity to take on something else, like you don't need to listen to any audiobook or read anything else. And, and I'm an avid reader and always trying to educate or what have you, other than just like hearing Stacy's story. So to point that out there, I mean, what an incredible sequence of events over a very challenging few years for everybody. And it's like, oh yeah, I moved twice, you know, across the country a couple of times and was the number one producer and got recruited by a couple of companies. But yeah, I also brushed my teeth and ate breakfast along the way while raising a family. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, you know this, like when you're passionate about something, like I believed in it so much. I love leasing so much. It was easy for me. And I don't say that meaning like, oh, like I'm special. Like it was easy because I loved it. So it came naturally to me. Other things are not that easy to me and I wouldn't have as much like just guts if that's probably maybe grit people might call it but i think the other thing that i would point out again is i'm like telling this story and there's even more that i'm about to share is that the importance of the relationships that you cultivate along the way like every single step goes back to a relationship that i had prior every single one every job that i've ever had every opportunity that i've ever been given has been from people that i worked with before Every single time, obviously in the case of Austin, that's true. So I go and work with Jeff and he gives me that opportunity and I'm leasing a 4 million square foot portfolio for people like Washington Prime and Kimco. And at the time it was Cole Real Estate, who's now Verit. Um, you know, they've changed their names a couple of times, but I mean, major institutional landlords, Simon leased all of their stuff and it was an incredible opportunity. I mean, honestly, Austin gave me so much opportunity. I became a principal at Edge um, about, I think, a year and a half after I was there, which was a huge milestone in my career. You know, to be named a principal of a company was a big deal. So, like, did that. And then at the same time, decided that I needed not only to <laughs> start a new job and learn a new market which was not easy and least for million is great, but I thought it was a good idea to also start a conference business <laughs> at the same time. Hang on. Now, listen, nobody's going to dispute the fact that you're a superhero or whatever, but I've had the pleasure of hearing the high-level story as to why you started your conference business. There is a good story behind this that I think our audience does need to hear. And it exemplifies your resourcefulness. So let's hear it. Okay. So if anybody's ever... If you're in commercial real estate and you know, like I'm picked up from Florida and I'm dropped into Austin. And and prior to taking this job, I'd been to Austin two times. And I knew part of my reservation in taking a job was I was very intimidated by the idea of learning a new market. Like <laughs> I knew it was going to be hard. 
And learning a new market is, I mean, Aaron, you know, you go around, you're looking for new development opportunities. You go into a new market and you're like, one, you know, just even the road system is completely different. I mean, Texas has frontage roads. Those don't exist in Florida. Oh my goodness. That Let's talk yeah. about those for two seconds. I we don't need to talk Such about Such a nightmare. Those. It's nine o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning. And I need a drink thinking about this damn furniture. It's it is the most confusing thing I've ever seen. They love it there too. It's unbelievable. They love it. Sorry, if you're from Texas, listen to this. I get it, but... It's horrible. Like you're on the highway and you look and you go, oh, there's the shopping center that I'm supposed to be at. Oh, I had to exit two miles back. Like it's very overwhelming, especially coming from Florida where everything is surfaced and you've got big massive parking lots and you can see what's coming miles down the road because the palm trees, there's no trees to block anything. I mean, it was, that was hard, but you know, even obviously the players, so like the major brokerage companies, the major landlords, the tenants, they were all different. It was almost like starting over. I mean, I had a loose basis of obviously some tenants were the same, but I mean, people in our industry, they talk about like, oh, hey, you know, the old Lowe's box down the street. And if you're in the industry and you've been in that market, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Well, now I'm in Austin and people are constantly referencing the old XYZ retailer. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Not only do I not know what shopping center you're talking about, because I wasn't here three years ago when it was the prior tenant. I don't even know what tenant you're talking about. So I remember people talking about, you know, specs, specs, specs. Well, specs is a liquor store. I didn't know what the hell specs was. So people would be talking about, I'm like, what? You know, like I did not know any people would obviously reference brokerage companies and brokers. And I didn't know any of them. And I was like, what the heck? (laughs) So I went to Jeff at the time and I said, Hey, let's start like a networking conference thing here in Austin. I really saw it as an opportunity for me to get to know the major players and the tenants in a really quick period of time. And also kind of, if I'm being honest, like letting the community know that like, it sounds arrogant. I don't know how to say it. It's like, I'm there now. Like kind of making a name for myself in a community where nobody knew me. And Edge was still very young at that time in Austin as well. So I was like, listen, this is a great opportunity. We'll kind of make our mark. We're trying to you know bring on more shopping centers. They're trying to get more tenant rep accounts. Like, let's do this. And he was supportive, as were the founders of Edge, a guy named Brian Murphy and Adam Schiller. But every time I would try to kind of advance that ball forward, they were busy with their day jobs. And so like I was doing things like going and looking at venues and where could we have it and stuff. And I'd come in and be like, hey, I think I found the place. And they would be like, oh, you know, let's talk about it later. And one day I was just like, screw it. I'll just do it on my own. Like they're not interested in it. I'll just do it on my own. And so I signed the contract, probably a personal risk of, I don't know, 150000 or something. I don't know. And just said, well, the hell with it. I'll figure it out. And so I signed it and I would get up every morning at 4 a.m. And I would literally, and it's funny, it'd be so great. I wish there was like a retailer we could call and you could get their like perspective of like, oh yeah, I remember when I got the first call or the first email from Stacey, probably pretty funny. Well, I'm happy to play detective. Yeah, yeah. I know a couple off the top of my head. I do remember Aaron Stoll with Academy Sports was the first retailer that agreed to participate in the Austin show. So I would basically harass and email every retailer I could find information on from about 4 to 6 a.m. until I had to get ready to go into the office and you know go lease shopping centers for Edge. And so we did that. And I ended up hosting the first retail live in Austin in August of 2012 with 100 retailers in the room and something like, five, I don't know, 450 attendees or something. And Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, sponsored by every major brokerage company that was in the market, which was my goal. So I would go around and meet with basically my competitors, a lot of them, my competitors under the role of getting their support for starting this networking event in, in Austin. And that's how Retail Life started. Unbelievable. Yeah. See, aren't you glad I pried or as you would say, harassed for that story? I guess to me, like I've told it so many times and I'm like, I, you know, like do people really want to hear this? Or <laughs> Yeah, they do. They do and they need to hear it. Our listener base needs to hear it. Like, yeah, it's an incredible story. Just because you've told it a lot doesn't take away any of the magnitude from it. So, you started this events business because you wanted to make something happen to better your career. And of course, and the least shocking piece of information that we've relayed so far it was a massive success for a first event. I mean, that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. 100 retailers, 500 total attendees. You're doing brokerage, getting to know the players in the market and who the retailers are and what 
frontage roads are like in Austin and everything <laughs> that comes with that in the brokerage world there. Kind of tell us about what happens next, both with Retail Live and your brokerage business on a simultaneous path because they're synonymous with each other. Yeah. From a time standpoint and with what you do every day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I continued to, I had an incredible career with Edge. I, <laughs> it was probably the, I would say my favorite part of my career thus far, just like that period of my life was just incredible. I was in arguably the hottest commercial real estate market in the country, leasing incredible projects, doing, you know, ground up development stuff and lifestyle projects, really cool kind of unique projects. I had the opportunity to work for Transwestern who did a like a mixed use project by the historic Broken Spoke on South Lamar for anybody who's an Austin fan. Um, did a like a multifamily or excuse me, mixed use project kind of that surrounded the Broken Spoke and got to work on that and kind of did some record setting rent deals by the domain and just really having the time of my life from a leasing perspective while also developing retail life and growing it, adding events all around the country. We went to Denver and Southern California and Seattle and Chicago. And in mid-2013, ended up acquiring another event company in Florida because I knew Florida was a market I needed to be in from a retail lives perspective. And obviously knowing Florida as I did. And you know, looked at like, do I add another event to the market? Or do I just buy an existing event? What makes the most sense? And I did end up buying that company, which gave us a foothold in Florida. So now we have a, a show in Orlando. By the way, I, in the middle of that, you know, had another child, my daughter. And so we, at the time, it was like I had a one and a four-year-old. And I have to say this, and it's boastful, but it just was such a, I don't know, cool part of my... While this is going on, I got named Broker of the Year by Varit. So I was in the Wall Street Journal, which was like my mom was like, you know, framing that and putting it everywhere. Uh, rightfully so. If, yeah, you better believe some people would frame it. Yeah, it was just an incredible time in my life. You know, Retail Live was growing and we were having a lot of fun doing that. Had young kids and they were doing great and was principal at Edge. And so did that for... I was there for almost four years. At the time, my now ex-husband really didn't want to be in Texas. He wanted to be back in Florida. And so I made the very difficult decision to be supportive. And I actually left that, which I have a lot of regret over. But you know, everything happens for a reason, I'm told. So I did end up leaving Edge and coming back to Florida in 2015. And when I came back to Florida, I just decided that's it. I'm focusing. You know, at the time, it was really hard for me to focus on retail live other than kind of like the day of the show. And I focused on the retail and sponsorship recruitment, but I really wasn't in the day-to-day because I was running the leasing department for Edge and focused on that. And so when I came back to Florida, I was like, I am throwing myself into retail life. Ironically, my crunch guy said, wait, you're back in Florida. You're taking over my account. Because I, of course, when I was in Austin, I had about a... I did do his work for about a a little bit, maybe a year um, when I first started there. But as he started ramping up, obviously he needed somebody that was closer and in Florida where he was focused on growing. And so when I came back to Florida, he said, Hey, I'm growing, please come do what you do. And so I ended up joining forces with Vince Julian again to grow Crunch, which he had since started developing after he sold his own personal brands. And so I just decided I'm going to be my own, you know, my kind of one man band and do my tenant rep brokerage for Crunch and focus on retail live. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Unbelievable story. So today you've done 40 crunch deals, it sounds like. And Retail Live is now in how many cities? I know Charlotte, Nashville, New York. I'm giving putting in some cities that you recently announced or have recently asked you on. So congratulations. Yeah. It changes a little bit year to year. And that's partly, I mean, obviously with COVID, that really like threw a wrench in things because you know there were some markets where you didn't want to go in from a you know, their their restrictions on gatherings were harder. And so that kind of, you know, would force there were some shows that I'd have to like push off to another year or when everybody canceled events, not just obviously commercial real estate, but just everyone, weddings and everything. These hotel venues have like a backlog of events that they're now like having to work. So making it a little bit challenging to get to kind of move your own dates. So some things have had to slide around. But you know, this year so far, we've done Charlotte and Orlando and we have three shows on deck for the remainder of the year. We have 
our first Northeast event, which we are partnering with the National Association of Realtors for their commercial conference, which is called the C5 Summit. It starts on August 15th. Retail Live is opening that conference. We're day one opening. Um, so there'll be a Retail Live, our traditional format event, opening up the C5 Summit. Our attendees will be able to access the C5 Summit through their Retail Live Pass if they choose to go. They've got some really cool... like you know, They're focusing on all aspects of commercial real estate. It's not retail. So they've got multifamily, industrial... And various other forms they've got, you know, I hear they've got a really incredible keynote speaker that they're going to have. So we're headed to New York on August 15th. And then we go back to Austin for our South Central show on September 1st. And then we have our first ever Nashville show on October 26th. So yeah, it's getting ready to be crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a crazy two days for you, but you're going to crush it. You said you needed a drink earlier after saying all that. I need a drink. <laughs> My heart palpitations have officially started. No other way to do it. I then just go hard for 60, 75 days, and then you'll be really enjoying the holidays this year. I hope. Yes. Yeah. Time to uh, recover. Yeah. So, incredible story, obviously. Are you an entrepreneur who happens to do commercial real estate, or are you a commercial real estate person who turned into an entrepreneur? I'm 100% born an entrepreneur. Yeah. I knew the answer before I asked. It's nice to have another nut job on the show because, like most of the yeah. people that I talk to, are really thoroughbred commercial real estate people, and I am too. But I think that's really more of the hub. No, I know I'm still meant for something bigger. I really feel that way, even right now sitting here. I, from the time I was little, I was pitching my dad invention ideas while I was swimming in the pool at five. Like that's what sets my hair on fire. Yeah, you're messed sure. up. You're messed up in the head like I am. I get it. I, <laughs> no, it's so exciting. You know, I mean, 99% of the crap fails, but the 1% that doesn't, I mean, there's nothing better. I, amen to that. Did you know that this is what you wanted? I mean, it sort of seems like it's evolved over time, but you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur. You just didn't know what capacity. Is that fair to assume? Yeah. 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 I would say that's true. I certainly didn't think I was going to be in commercial real estate. I mean, I never saw that coming. That came out of total left field. And I would say that I also had no idea that I was sort of conference business. I mean, that was really a whim kind of thing that I... I mean, I don't think I even thought beyond having it more than one time. Oh, wow. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to start this annual thing. I mean, it was just like, oh, hey, let's just get a bunch of people together and network. I mean, it was literally nothing more than that. So I think the blessing and the curse for me, potentially, the blessing is I don't tend to think about... This is going to sound irresponsible. I don't really look at the financial risks. I think I'm going to do it and I'm going to figure it out. And I don't really do like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Oh, I could lose, you know, 200 grand. That thought never crossed my mind. Just never even occurred to me as ridiculous as that. I get it. I totally get it. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. I can relate. I bought a bar with some friends when I was 21. Had I known what I know now about risk, I don't think I would have done it. And if you don't know about it or you don't think through it, then You'll, you'll never, yeah. There's always a reason to talk yourself out of a deal or an opportunity or a business. So I commend you for it. I'll be reckless and stupid with you. It'll be a fun ride. <laughs> awesome. There's a couple of us out there. So, contrary to popular belief, I would imagine you have weaknesses. We don't know what they are yet, but maybe you can share one or two with us and tell us how you navigate them. Oh, I'm a total control freak. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I think like Erica, who works for me, bless her heart, she's the patient of, you know, Job. It can be hard for me to let go of things, you know, that fear, obviously, of like, well, one, is it going to get done? But two, you know, is it going to be done the way that I want to do it? And I tend to go 8 million miles an hour, I would say. So one of my weaknesses is definitely just like letting go. In fact, I remember when I was at Edge and I was leasing all these shopping centers. And I mean, I was just like buried in weekly leasing update calls. And the owners would always want me on the phone. You know, we've all been there where you're like, you're working for someone and like, oh, they want to talk to the boss. You know, well, I had people that were leasing with me and not intentionally, but somewhat, you know, undermining them because whenever there was calls, the people wanted me on the call, which didn't give them the power to go do what they needed to do. And I remember Adam Schiller, the co founder of Edge, sitting down and telling me, like, you know, you're blazing and you're going out there, but you, you really got to start delegating. Like, he was on me about hiring somebody and getting an assistant and having junior people under me and letting go. And that's definitely something that I am not good at. So, you know, I've had to really, I still honestly struggle with it. I mean, I'd love to tell you that I found the solution or that I deal with it. I really struggle with it. I think that's probably why I'm a one-man band on my brokerage side. And 
thankfully, you know, I've got an incredible, incredible woman that works for me at Retail Live, Erica Darling, of course, you know, and she is fantastic. And she's also very patient with me. <laughs> she's come to know, like, Stacey's going to have something to say and, you know, I'm going to listen and to nod my head and then I'm going to go do it. I mean, she just knows how to deal with me. <laughs> so that's definitely a weakness that I have. I'm sure there's tons more. What's the biggest curveball you've ever been thrown in your career? In my career. Okay. I was going to say something else. You can say whatever you want. I mean, it's your show. We're just hanging out. Well, I was going to say the biggest curveball I've certainly ever been thrown was when my parents said, you're on your own and we're not paying for your school. And I would argue that's related to your career. I would argue yeah, all yeah, day that long. Was... That answer is more than valid in my book because yeah. it probably, in a lot of ways, set you up for success with your career because you've had big stuff happen where you moved across the country a couple of times, albeit during. A recession and had children and you seem to have taken that so well and i don't think that you would have taken it as well without the preparation of the tough moments of when your parents informed you that they were getting a, a divorce while you're in school so that answer works in my book let me ask you this and i ask almost all of our guests this question and i certainly try to what advice do you have as someone who's accomplished what you've been able to accomplish, especially with your back up against the wall or not having the cards stacked in your favor a multitude of times? What advice do you have for someone either trying to break into the business or for someone who's less than five years in who wants to end up in a similar seat that you're in? Well, I know one thing that I tell people all the time, what I see is I see a lot of young folks who want to immediately jump into the brokerage side. And I can only assume that the main driving force for that is because they want to make a lot of money. And they see brokerage as the vehicle to get them making those big commissions. One thing that I didn't really touch on much, but is critical to my path was what I learned while working at Benderson. I tell people all the time, like, go work for a developer, learn on their dime, learn all the facets of the business before you decide to go out on your own. For one, You'll just be a more well-rounded, in this case, leasing agent. But for two, when you know, another reason is when you're speaking to landlords and you're trying to pitch for business, you can speak their language. You understand what it's like to sit in the seat of the. I mean, obviously, I wasn't an owner at Benderson, but I practiced like I was. I treated everything like if I own this, what would I do? And I had that perspective because I worked for the ownership. I sat in meetings. I listened to what was important. I walked the back of the shopping centers. I I think I told you this story, but I swapped out acoustical ceilings and spaces to get them leased. I did all those things, which I wouldn't have done as a broker. I wouldn't have had access to that stuff as a broker. So not only did I learn all of the like things that are critical in the eyes of ownership, which down the road, when I would go pitch to these landlords and lease their shopping centers, I could speak to... I knew the nerves. I knew the buttons to be pushed or, or what concerned them. I could speak to that. But even aside from that, I was paid for that. I mean, I was paid to learn at a time when I would, wasn't really capable of going out there and probably making any commissions, <laughs> if, if any. And so I think that people are in a big hurry to get out there and be a broker and make these big commissions. And I would say, you know, like anything, like this is in my opinion, not to get on my soapbox here, but this is the big problem as a society that we have is we want to skip past the hard part. We don't want to go through the training. We don't want to put in our time. And I would say, you know, you're going to be a better broker person, representative for whether it's a landlord or a tenant or whatever, if you, you know, get those training wheels rusty and then, you know, take them off and then go be a broker as opposed to just trying to go straight to the broker job. That's excellent advice talking to somebody who owns an ownership development company that's looking for good acquisitions people out there. <laughs> in all seriousness, I, that I'm constantly making... I wouldn't say that specific pitch, but there is something to be said for being able to sit on the other side's table. I mean, you know, for example, we raise money. Obviously, we run a syndication model, which is not our problem right now. We need deal flow, but which is why we're hiring set acquisitions people. But I always tell people, before you go out and buy properties on your own, be an LP, invest in somebody else's deal a couple of times. I did it three times before going out on my own. And it was a phenomenal education for me. So I couldn't agree anymore with the advice that you shared. What's one book that changed your life? There's so many. I love that answer. There's so many. You know, I did 75 hard. So I was like reading just... One or two. Just the first couple that come to mind. Atomic Habits. Okay. Fantastic book. The One Thing. Great book. Great. Mm -hmm. I bought that for our team. As soon as I read it, loved it. Oh, The Automatic Millionaire. Highly recommend that. 
right? Yeah, those are just a couple off the top of my head. There's more. There's a lot more. I love that. You ask Stacy what's one book that changed her life, and she gives you three. <laughs> you get more for your bang for your buck here. Yeah, I love that. Last question. Yes. And I ask everybody this. So if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard this one, and you've had all the time to think about it. God. And yet I'm going to have nothing to say. <laughs> so publications are going to come out when you decide to step away because you decide to sit on a beach or do something even bigger and better outside of real estate or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And because you're as well-known as you are, and as many people adore you as they do, they're going to write articles. When commercial real estate publications post those articles about you, what do you want your legacy to be like with those words? I want people to say that I was always willing to help them make connections. I'm a big... I mean, if you see my LinkedIn profile, it says you know that I'm a CRE matchmaker. I truly love that. I have retailers that call me all the time looking for brokers or connections in markets. And I just really love just connecting people. I hope people would say that I was helpful and that when they needed a reference or recommendation or something that I was just more than happy to do it. And I guess I would say I would want, I would definitely want people to say that she went for it. Love that. Well, I would say that, and it's obviously that's up to your discretion and nobody else's matters, but from an outsider's perspective, Stacey, we can all agree that you're definitely going for it. And there's no bigger cheerleader out there than me. And I'm certain that a lot of people share that with me, especially as they get to listen to this interview. Oh, you're so kind. Yeah, of course. We cannot thank you enough for you being here. It's been an honor and it's been incredible to hear your story. And I'm excited for the world to hear. Oh, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Who knew it all started with some bagels, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the line. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to Limitless, How to Crush It in Commercial Real Estate. I hope you were able to extract one piece of value out of today's episode. That's my only goal. If you did, in fact, get some value out of it, let me know via LinkedIn, Instagram, or through a review wherever you get your podcasts.